Okay, uh, so because you brought your Bibles, can you turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 23? And as you're going there, uh, who was here last week? Lots of people, I'm sure. Pastor Eric brought an amazing word, powerful word on, um, on stirring up your spirit and joining with people around you and being able to meet needs of people around you. We're going to build a little bit off of that. And uh, so that really encouraged me that we're all on the same track. Okay, Acts 11, 23 and 24, there it is there. When Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. He encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith, and many people came to the Lord. I only have one big point this morning, and it is this. I believe that we can change this world simply by being a people of encouragement. That's all we need to do. All right, so let's get into it. Have you ever felt like you've been called by God to a certain place or have a strong desire for a certain job or position? Like, just like you were made for it. You worked hard and you pushed through and sure there was some problems and some obstacles, but you knew that this is where you're supposed to be. And then as soon as you get there, the people that are already there say that you don't belong, that you're underqualified or completely unqualified, that there's just no room for you, or that your past excludes you. These are the people that you looked up to. They, you know that they would love you if you, they would just give you a chance. It can be deflating, disappointing, and even heartbreaking. It makes you question if you can hear God or if you know yourself at all. I've been there before. Luckily, for a few times, I've had a friend on the inside, someone that knew me from before, someone who could see my potential and truly believed in me. Some of those people, many of those people, are here in this room this morning. They stood up for me, encouraged me to persevere, and sometimes they even stood up to those who said I don't belong, and they vouched for me. So oddly enough, when that's happened, their belief in me created such a strong belief in myself that I probably actually did a better job after all that than if I didn't encounter the the opposition in the first place. See, that, that right there is the power of encouragement. One of the best examples I've seen in the early church is a man named Barnabas. Well, actually, in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it tells us that his name was Joseph, but they called him Barnabas because it meant the son of encouragement. He was actually so encouraging that they changed his name to encouragement. He was a great guy to be around. He had learned Jewish law from a Sanhedrin leader named, I'm going to terrify him, <laughs> uh, Gamaliel the Elder, I think. Uh, and among his other pupils was a remarkable student named Saul, but we'll get to him in a little bit. After Barnabas met Jesus, there was no going back. He was totally sold out and did whatever he could to grow the church. Almost all that we hear about Barnabas is written in Acts chapters 9 to 15. And it's a great story. I encourage you to go through it this week. Uh, but since we've only got 
three-ish hours here. Um, no, I'm just joking. I, <laughs> um, we won't be able to fit it all in this morning. <laughs> so let's set the stage. So Saul, the one who had learned Jewish law with Barnabas, had taken a slightly different route than Barnabas did. Rather than accept Jesus as the son of God, Saul determined that Jesus was a fake and that these people of the way, that's what Christians were called before they were called Christians, were against God and needed to be eliminated. Saul had gotten permission from Jewish leaders to go throughout the land and imprison and even kill these people professing that Jesus is Lord. He did it with great fervor. One day when Saul was on his way to Damascus, he was knocked onto the ground, blinded, and he heard Jesus speaking from heaven. After that encounter, Saul did a complete 180 and began to preach Jesus' death and resurrection in Damascus. See, the problem now is, is that Saul didn't have any friends left. All the people of the way were terrified of him because they thought that he would still imprison or kill them. And all the Jewish people hated him because his preaching was getting more and more powerful and more believers, and many believers were being added to the church. Eventually, the Jewish people had, had enough. They hatched a plan to kill him. Saul caught wind of this plan, and he escaped the city. And with his newfound faith in Christ, there was nowhere to go but the heart of the church in Jerusalem. He was sure that the news of his powerful transformation, preaching, and would have gone ahead of him. He would be able to walk in there, and the apostles would welcome him with open arms. Maybe even get him to start leading a dinner party. Or preach in the summertime. <laughs> but that's not what happened at all. <laughs> if we go to Acts 9.26, it says, should be up there. Yeah, perfect. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Imagine that. Believers who don't believe. <laughs> Now that's something. Believers who don't believe. But that's a whole other message for another time. So let's keep going. Verse 27 says, Then Barnabas, so sorry, then Barnabas, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and showed them how Saul had seen the Lord, and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them about Saul preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. In Damascus. See, the only reason why Saul got in to see the apostles is because Barnabas believed in him. Because Barnabas said, I know that you're not perfect and you've had a rough past, <laughs> but I believe in you and you can make a difference in this world. After meeting with the apostles, Saul started preaching boldly and, and debating with Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And some Greek speaking Jews in Jerusalem couldn't take his preaching there either. So they tried to kill him. The apostles didn't know what to do with him. They didn't even really want him in Jerusalem in the first place. So they sent him off to his hometown of Tarshish, um, hoping that the problem would just fix itself, or at least it would go to Tarshish with Saul. <laughs> so a little while later, word got to the believers that Jerusalem, uh, uh, believers in Jerusalem, about God moving powerfully in uh, non-Jewish, what the Bible calls Gentile people in Antioch. They decided they had to send someone to investigate and report back to them about what God was doing there. Who better to send 
to encourage a new move of God than our boy Barn. As soon as he got there, Barnabas realized that these new believers needed a shepherd, someone to help them grow in the faith. After all, these Greek believers wouldn't know anything about the Old Testament, and they wouldn't have had any exposure to any scriptures at all. Pretty soon, Barnabas was overwhelmed with all the new believers in Antioch, and so never to be one to let someone slip through the cracks, Barnabas went down to Tarshish to find Saul and bring him back to Antioch to help grow the church. And Barnabas and Saul grew the church there. And Saul wasn't the only one that the Bible records Barnabas encouraging. In their first missionary journey, Saul, who's now called Paul, and Barnabas had taken a young man named John Mark. And about halfway through their journey, John Mark got scared and took off back to Jerusalem on his own. Saul, Paul was furious. He had been and felt totally betrayed, and for good reason. But Barnabas felt like John Mark had just made a mistake, and he deserved a second chance. So when Paul suggested to Barnabas that they should go back and visit all the churches that they had planted, Barnabas knew this was the second chance for John Mark. Barnabas insisted that John Mark come to his home, or sorry, insisted that John Mark go with them, and Paul was adamant that a deserter and a coward would never travel with him again. Unfortunately, that was the end of Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas took John Mark to his home island of Cyprus, and Paul took Silas on his second missionary journey. Because the writer of Acts, Luke, follows Paul and Silas, that's pretty much the last that we hear about Barnabas. I had mentioned earlier that I believe encouragement could change the world. So how does Barnabas' story show this? As Paul's, after Paul's ministry, missionary journeys, he would go on to write letters back to the churches that he and Barnabas and he and Saul had, writ, had started. Thirteen of those letters have become books in our New Testament that we read today. Many people believe that John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark and that that Gospel was actually the first Gospel to be written, and it inspired Luke and Matthew to write their Gospels. So, and it's even possible, and this one's maybe a little bit on the edge, but some people believe that, that Barnabas could have written the book of Hebrews. So, if you pull Barnabas out of the mix and all his encouragement and everything else, he's had his hand in about 17 of the 27 books of the New Testament. That's a pretty significant difference for someone who stood with just two men. And that doesn't even count, that doesn't even include all of the churches that he and Paul had started all the way through the Roman Empire. All because one man could see potential in others and stood up for them and wouldn't let them go when most other people wouldn't even give them a second chance. So, with all that story, how do we practically model Barnabas' encouragement? I believe there's three key things that stand out to me. Number one, Barnabas used his position to elevate others and to build the church. We can see this in almost everything that Barnabas does. When Saul first came to Jerusalem, it, was e it would have been easy for Barnabas to tell Saul, you know, it's too bad that the apostles didn't want to meet with you, and, but you got to kind of understand their side of the story too. Like, you know, it's, you're kind of a scary dude. Um, but no, that's not who he was. He knew that his opinion held weight in the Jerusalem church. 
and he used that to get Saul in front of the apostles. Please hear me. I'm not suggesting that you just run out onto the street, grab somebody, bring him to, to your boss and say, you got to hire this guy right now. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you've been given influence and your words carry weight with people. We should always be searching for ways to use that influence to bring people up, to elevate people. That can, we should all, yeah, that can even relate to people who are battling internal battles. When you bring someone an encouraging word at the right time, you're using your influence and your position to break lies that people have been carrying and to bring truth to a situation. This can be so easy to do. This, this thing. Since moving to Strathmore, I've got about a 40-minute commute to and from work every day. And so most days I hear about two sermons from different churches. And, and I can't tell you how many messages I've heard condemning this thing. And I understand there's a lot of problems that can come with use and whatever else. But I say we can take back power with this thing. It can literally take no time out of your day at all. You can fire something off that could totally turn someone's day around. It's actually happened to me a lot this week. And, and church, it's so awesome. You guys are standing up with me. I'm, I'm so blessed to have you guys. Um, and it's, it would be nothing for you just to fire off a message. So I'm challenging you this week, anytime someone comes to your mind, send them a text. Send them a Facebook message. Tweet them a tweet. Send them a Snapchat. You could even you could even commission a TikTok in their honor. I don't. To be honest, I'm a dad and I don't really know what that is, but it's something. Whatever you've got, whatever you've got, you can do it to build somebody up. And if you did that just once every single day this week, it would take you a grand total of ten, maybe fifteen minutes. Like that's nothing. That's nothing. And who knows what you could shift in seven people's lives. Can you imagine? And that's just one week. Imagine if we lived our lives like that. It'd be unreal. We could change everything. Number two, Barnabas stuck with people. And I don't believe that this was a character trait that he just had. I believe that Barnabas cultivated this as he was continually filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That kind of love isn't in anybody's nature. <laughs> but as we spend time with God, and as our relationship grows deeper and deeper, we begin to see the way that God loves people, and it naturally comes into us, and we can begin to love people that way. There's very little that we can do that can bring more value that will bring more encouragement than when we stand with others as they go through hard times. When we start to see people in that light, giving people a second, third, fourth, tenth chance isn't so difficult. It's actually natural. Because we know that God's desire is that none shall perish, but all come to repentance. See, I feel like I don't even really need to say too much because, church, you do this so well already. <laughs> walked out, this is just simple relationships. If you walk with me, if you and me walk together 
long enough, and many of us have, eventually one of us is bound to trip up and fall, go through some bad stuff, and maybe even say some stuff that we didn't mean that ends up hurting the other person. We're just human. It's our broken nature to do these things. But the power comes when one of us falls and the other stays by our side. When we choose relationship over convenience, when we choose to stick by someone, even when we know that they'll never be able to pay us back, because we're not in the relationship for what we can take out of it. We walk in relationship because we're all sons and daughters of God, because we're all adopted into the same family under the same loving Father, because He first loved us. That is why each and every person is worth loving. And when we can get a hold of that kind of love, the world will recognize the difference and they will do whatever they can to get here. Number three, Barnabas found joy in other people's successes and victories. At some point along their missionary journey, Paul started taking the lead. But at no point did Barnabas grumble about how Paul would be forgotten about, stuck in Tarshish, or wouldn't even have the apostles' blessing if it wasn't for him. No, Barnabas didn't find joy in his title or his authority, but in seeing the kingdom of God coming to earth. He was so excited to see Gentiles coming to Christ for the first time and the kingdom growing that nothing else mattered. He was confident in his role of encourager and people builder. I believe that we can all find some joy in others' success, but often our insecurities and our worries will rise up and begin to tell us lies. Things like... Oh, I lost it. <laughs> um, about how there's only one room for one person to win in this race, in this area. Or if I was given that position, I definitely wouldn't act like that. Or even if I don't get some spotlight time, these people are going to forget about me and everything that I'm doing won't mean anything at all. <laughs> these, I can tell you with absolute certainty that all these statements and everything like it is a total lie. It's a total lie straight from the enemy. <laughs> I myself fall into these and other lies like them far too often. These lies will surround you and they'll insulate you from the people around you keeping you from being able to develop any kind of real relationship with the most important people. The truth is, is that everything that you need and everything that you want can be found in God. Your credentials, your work, your promotion, your fame, your fortune, none of these things will bring you anything close to the satisfaction that walking with God can. You were literally made to be in relationship with Him. He created us for relationship. Once we can get that priority straight, it's easy to see other people getting the things that we used to think that we needed because we know that God has the absolute best in store for us. In the, perfect, the things that will fit us perfectly and in perfect timing. The best way that I've found to fight these lies is in worship. As we focus on the magnificence of God and how vast 
and mighty he is. As we realize more and more how small we are in these human bodies and how his authority is so much higher than anything that could be found on earth, the things that people call me good or bad just doesn't really matter. We sung it earlier that one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. See, the next part of the verse in Psalm 8410, and actually we'll get the band to come back up. I talked really fast. <laughs> That's okay. Um, the next part of the verse in Psalm 8410 said, says, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. That should be our cry. That I'd rather be a beat down, no good, nothing, nobody from nowhere, and be able to spend time in the presence of my creator and the lover of my soul than to get everything that this world has to offer us. Trust me, friends, when you do get time in his presence, it really is that good, and nothing else matters at all. As I bring this to a close, there are two groups.